The Daily Rios, for October 2nd, 2012. TV Tuesday. Revolution Episodes 1 through 3, The Pilot for Last Resort, and a bunch more Batman the Animated Series episodes fill out today's installment of TV Tuesday. I will be talking in-depth about all of it. That's code for spoilers. Actually, that's my preferred way of saying spoilers. I like to think that if someone hears in-depth discussion, they know what they're in for. And if not, then they aren't paying attention. Anyway, so this is my first attempt in a long time at jumping into the new TV season, or into a new TV series from episode one, as a way to see if, now that I have cable again, if there's anything that I missed about all of this boob tube stuff. It made me think about the great comic book debate that probably has lost some of its steam over the years because of the availability of same-day digital comics, maybe. Once again, DC bringing people to comics on a weekly schedule. Yay! So that great comic book debate between monthly comics and waiting for the trade. Now, I enjoy the monthly format for many reasons, but as it pertains to this particular TV Tuesday episode, I enjoy monthly comics because it affords me access to the larger ongoing comics discussion on podcasts, on forums, etc. So I wanted to bring that to TV as well. And what I found is that I don't think it's the same, right? First of all, I don't have the same passion for TV as I do for comics. And there's almost too much discussion out there on TV. Or maybe it's not centralized enough in enough locations for it all. It's not like I can go into Best Buy and hang out at the TV section and, hey, maybe I'll run into some friends who watched all of this past week's episodes and we'll chat for like eight hours like I used to do for comics. I mean, it doesn't happen that way. And the online stuff, I can certainly go to some forums and maybe talk on Twitter. I don't know. It just it doesn't feel the same. It doesn't feel the same for me. My friend Matt, uh, who's a co-host over at CGS, he has this rule, I'll say in quotes, that he lets every new show get one or two seasons under its belt before he'll even start watching it. Or, or maybe they have to survive beyond two seasons. It's something like that. And I think his reasoning is if something lasts that long, it's either worth watching or it has had enough time to tell a story without being yanked off the air mid-development, etc. If he hears this, I'm sure he'll elaborate on his exact reasons. But when I was watching these shows, Revolution and Last Resort, that concept of what he was talking about immediately sprang to my mind. That thought of, you know, maybe for TV, I should really wait for the trade. That's not to say I disliked what I watched. I don't want people listening to get disillusioned right off the bat and, and turn off the episode. I'm just, I'm just laying it out there from the get-go. I'm giving you a disclaimer in case you're listening and you loved these particular shows, and you're wondering, why isn't he gushing about this? Or why isn't he loving that? Or maybe why isn't he hating that? You know, I'm just kind of throwing it all out there from the beginning. So having said all that, let's look at the two new shows, uh, Revolution on NBC, Last Resort on ABC, both of which had elements of their overall story that I really liked, moments that pulled me in, potential future paths that would definitely hook me for a long run. But I think the thing that kept my distance a bit for both shows was the lack of 
naturalness in the characters. I guess I mean the actors. I know this is something that will develop over time, but I can I, I can think of a lot of shows, and I'm not speaking of this from my point of view as an actor. I'm not talking necessarily about their acting. Um, there are a lot of shows where, right from episode one, the actors feel comfortable in their new skin. They play off each other naturally as characters. The characters feel invested and developed. Again, it's not the act. I'm not saying it's the actor's fault necessarily. I think it's something that has to do with the scripting and, and just where these shows, where the development is in the shows. It feels like a lot of the development is in the overall story and the plot, and the characters are part of that, but they're sl their build and their journey is, is slow growing, where some other shows... It, it's character first, and some of the characters are the reasons why you come back, etc. In these shows, minus a few standouts, obviously here and there, there was a lot of character roles, uh, such as like the love interest, and the outsider, and the father, and the rebel, but I don't know, I thought they were developed in a very cardboard way, and even that's too harsh. I mean, it's, it's, just, not, it's just not so natural, I guess, I guess is the way I put it. Again, I, I swear, I did like the shows. I, I didn't feel like it was a waste of time to watch them. So keep listening. I promise, I promise. It's not, there, there's some good talk here. It's not all negative. So, all right, so Revolution, uh, episodes one through three. I'm not going to bother with a huge book report on what happened. I'm not a fan of long, drawn-out synopsis. If you really want to know, watch the show. And I don't want to bore the people who are watching it who already know what's going on. Uh, you know, For those who haven't watched it and don't plan on it, plan on it, uh, I'll leave it to some, uh, just the power all over the world has gone out, and 15 years later, the USA has crumbled, and it's being run by various militia. Uh, there's a girl and her uncle who happened to help start the biggest militia in the first place, who are looking for her last brother, and then there are a band of others who discover the means uh, and possibly the hope that power might be restored. Yeah. There you go. Very very loose synopsis. It's not even completely accurate. <laughs> um, overall, I enjoyed the show. Uh, I watched these episodes in a chunk. I'm glad I did, and I think I'll probably continue to do so, just so I can feel the story move along. Uh, it's very much in the way that I once watched Lost. Uh, I used to watch episodes at a time in a night with no weekly break. I did that for the first five seasons just so I could watch the final season as it was actually airing, and that was really frustrating. So I don't know how people who watched Lost from the beginning did it. So Revolution, the show is a mix of Lost, The Stand, Walking Dead, Hunger Games, and oh look, a Star Wars reference, you know? And this is all no surprise to to anybody who's watching it, I, I, I would hope, and and the show itself is absolutely making it aware that it knows that it is referencing all those things as well. One of the characters even mentions the name Stu Redman and Franny, which is from The Stand. Um, now, would I have known that if I wasn't already reading it? Probably not, but it's there. Uh, the other Stand references the character of Grace, Grace Beaumont, and, and where she lives, and, and the corn outside of the White House where she lives. It's totally Mother Abigail from The Stand. And she was kidnapped, or killed, or whatever, we don't know yet, by a man named Randall. More Stand, you know, Stand, 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 Stand. Um, in terms of Lost, they are pulling, obviously there's different actors from Lost, uh, the actress that played Juliet, 
the actor who played Jacob. He's called Jeremy in, in this show, and, he, and he's a high-ranking officer in the militia. He even says at one point, leave no survivors. Okay, maybe I'm stretching it here, and, and it's not as meta as I want to think of it, but leave no survivors, I don't know. That, the survivors, that was a word that was used a lot in Lost. And, and yeah, you know, the whole thing between Jacob and the man in black in, in Lost, the whole thing between the survivors, and I don't know. It just, it, it's like Lost, ah, I'm sure there are other references that I, that I missed. But but I think, again, I think they're doing it on purpose. It almost helps to get it out of its system, to get it out of our system as viewers. So I guess in a way I'm kind of thankful for that. So for the overall story, uh, the idea behind the power being out, who caused it, why it happened, the very hungry games-ish development of Charlie and her growth as a leader, right? I mean, her caring for the prisoners, the sick, the dead, it's, it's, it's all there. Her, you can tell she is, something's going to happen with her along the way. Uh, the development of her brother Danny, whose name I had to look up, uh, becoming a potential member of the militia. Again, I think that's there as well. I think that'll happen. That's all somewhat intriguing. But out of all of it, and I know it was probably done before the advent of Lost, and I'm sorry for keep bringing it up, but for me, the more interesting story is playing out in the flashback scenes. And that's a storytelling device that both shows are using, by the way. And in Revolution, when we see Miles and Sebastian months after the power has gone out in a flashback, this idea forms in Miles' mind. Uh, after seeing scenes of violence against uh, average citizens, he gets this idea that someone has to restore order. And his friend Sebastian, at least what little we've seen in, this, in these flashbacks so far, doesn't feel like he's so keen on the idea right away. And that is almost Shakespearean in its potential. Mostly because we know how it turns out, right? If it was Miles' idea to start the militia, but yet somewhere along the way, it's Sebastian that eventually takes over and becomes the feared uh, General Sebastian Monroe, because that's who we're all afraid of in the future. That's awesome. That's Caesar and Othello and Shakespeare and who knows what else. That's cool to me. That I almost wish the series was about that. I really do. I mean, do many shows do that? Do they start from the beginning and maybe have a flash forward? Rather than something tragic happening and we always go backwards. I mean, maybe it could be in the reverse this time. I don't know. That flashback, that story, that development of how it all built. And it's like watching... How, it's the potential of watching how the Empire was being built during uh, uh, the most recent trilogy of Star Wars, right? Like that, the potential of that. Now, who knows if it'll turn out like that. But anyway, that for me, flashbacks, that's the way to go. That's what I'm really hooked on. So... That's really all my thoughts on that show. I've seen comments about the future looking too bright, too glossy, too Hollywood. I get that. It's drama. It's TV. You know, sometimes a show does it well. Sometimes it doesn't. The 15 years thing feels a bit too long, especially in terms of how some characters look, of the characters that we see in both time frames. You sort of go, wow, okay, I guess 15 years is not too bad in this kind of post-apocalyptic world. Uh, and then there's there's the potential for larger stories. Uh, if the Monroe militia is the biggest in the country, Captain Neville at one point stated that there was something called the Baltimore Act, uh, which banned firearms. So if the story takes place mostly in and around Chicago, but yet there was something called the Baltimore Act, 
is that giving us some kind of scope there? And then what about the other republics? If the Monroe Republic gets weakened some way by the, by the rebels, uh, will the other republics want to take over? Can you just restore the USA by taking over the Monroe Republic? I mean, is that it? Uh, what about the rest of the world? You know, so questions, questions, lots of questions. So that potential stuff is kind of interesting. As I said before, it's a show that I'll probably watch in chunks just to let the story play out so I don't have to be there every week. So you may not get an update on this uh, for, uh, you know, a few more TV Tuesday episodes. For Last Resort, only one episode in, uh, the, the story here, uh, a submarine is told to fire on an enemy nation. They question where the orders come from. They get branded as traitors, both outside and inside the submarine. Uh, someone starts a war with Pakistan, and then the captain pulls a Kurtz from Heart of Darkness and stakes a claim on an island and tells the rest of the world to go F itself, more or less. It was a lot. It was a lot in an, in one episode. It probably could have filled a bunch of episodes or a miniseries, but they did it all in one episode just to get to that status quo at the end there. I don't know. It felt a bit choppy here and there. I thought the stuff on the sub was was better developed than what was going on in the scenes in uh, DC. Especially this whole thing with whatever project is, is going on, whatever secret experiment is on the vessel, which I don't even think they ever really talked about on the sub. Maybe I missed it, but they talk about it more. It almost feels like that's something that they kind of pushed into the development of the show later after they had already filmed all the sub stuff. I don't know. Maybe I missed something along the way. Um, the Admiral, scenes with the Admiral, stuff going on. I don't know. It just it was. It felt like things were happening really fast to get to whatever the end point was going to be. And and not in, a, in an interesting way, in a choppy way, to me. I, I think we need to see a few more eps to really see the potential of all this. I did enjoy it, though, watching it. It kept me invested, more or less. I didn't love it. But I was getting into it here and there. There were some things, scenes going on that was kind of, you know, it caught my attention. I almost feel like this could be a miniseries. I haven't thought much about the long-term potential, really. Uh, there's stuff in the story. There's questions. Why is the president being impeached? Obviously, someone that created the show doesn't like the current regime much. Um, what is the project on the sub? What did those Navy SEALs do to create the situation uh, in Pakistan in the first place? Um, are we headed to war? Is this 24 played out on a larger worldly scale, like a, almost like a risk game come to life? How do you walk away from all of that? How do you do what you did on the sub? How does the captain... I don't know. What will Julian do, the, the, the guy that uh, basically runs the island that they're on? I can't really say anyone stood out other than uh, Captain Marcus Chaplin. Uh, and then there's Robert Patrick looking all terminatory. But I did enjoy it. I did. I'll, I'll let this one build a few more episodes before I return to it. The premise is just zany enough that it's worth a watch, but now comes the true test as the story develops and, and as it moves forward. And where is it going? And how do all these pieces fit? And uh, I don't necessarily need it to be realistic I don't even really necessarily. It doesn't even have to totally make sense, but it it has some. It has to connect somehow, and it has to be intriguing. So, we'll see. We'll see if it keeps. I, I from what I hear, it could be one of those shows that's on the chopping block, which is sort of sad that it's happening that way so fast. Uh, I did read one article over on Salon that was called 
ABC's latest series offers a new twist on an old formula, an African-American hero who's no one's sidekick. This is by Jonathan Gray. Uh, I read the article, and maybe I'm making his argument too simple, but there was one quote that I saw, one line that I saw. It says, uh, it is fitting that in an America with a black president, we finally get a, we finally get a series that promises to delve into how race inflicts notions of justice, service, and leadership. And my immediate thought to that was, dude, have you seen Deep Space Nine? I mean, I get your point, I, and he has a much larger uh, question that he's asking and, and, and point that he's making in the article, but I don't know, if you haven't seen DS9, you should, because that show did what he's talking about long before this one. So, I don't know, it just... It was something that I just saw and I, I thought I just needed to comment on. No real big thought there. Doesn't have to turn into anything. So those are the two new shows. And, uh, you know, down the road, if I catch up on them, I'll talk about it. So let me know what you thought of, of those shows. And finally, I saw four more episodes of Batman, the animated series. I saw the two-part Feet of Clay episodes that introduced Clayface. Uh, an episode called Never Too Late, featuring a mob rivalry between the characters Thorne and Stromwell. And then I saw Joker's Favor, which introduces both the Joker and Harlequin to the series, their first uh, appearance on the show, even though there was an episode created before this one aired that uh, featured the Joker. This was the first episode that aired featuring the Joker. Does that make sense? Because I'm watching them in the order that they aired, not in production order. So anyway, of all of these four episodes, the one that I liked the most was actually Never Too Late. The rivalry between uh, the Thorn character and Stromwell. Batman is in it, but he's used very much as, uh, not like a narrator, but he, he's kind of in behind the scenes as the main action uh, happens around him. Um, the idea that uh, a younger mob boss is trying to push out an older mob boss. Um, the older mob boss has a son that is addicted to the very drugs that he's been putting out on the streets. And he has a brother who's uh, a father uh, in a church. They're trying to get the old mob guy to turn state's evidence, I guess you could say, against uh, against his own dealings and, and give up his life of, of crime. And... So it's kind of like a morality tale. It was good, though. I really liked it. I liked the way it was, the way it laid out, the way it was paced, some of the back and forth, the way Batman was used, um, some some good character voice stuff going on um, with uh, Paul Dooley and John Vernon and Catherine Hellmond and Eugene Roche. Um, this was um, by the studio Spectrum Animation, which so far has been my favorite studio. Uh, out of all the ones I've seen, let's see, the first Feet of Clay episode, the first part was by Acom, and they are, the animation is wobbly, it's it's dreadful. Uh, the second one was by Tokyo Movie Shinsha, and that was better. Uh, in the second part of Feet of Clay, there's a really cool, quote-unquote, death scene at the end with Clayface, where he's turning into all the movie characters that he has played over the years. And uh, that was a that was that bit of animation was really good. I liked that a lot. It, it even felt a little anime-ish. Uh, but the Joker one it was by 
the animation studio of Dong Yang, and I know that they eventually take over for season two, most of the episodes for season two. It was okay. I don't think it was as slick as Spectrum Animation was. I know there's a story uh, about the studio somewhere that I just haven't researched yet, but I will. Uh, but yeah, I think I liked Never Too Late uh, out of all of them, uh, if if you know which uh, which episode I'm talking about in Season 1. Now the Clayface one, uh, let's see, the story in Teleplay was by Marv Wolfman and someone else, but that was a name that I recognized. It introduced Lucius Fox. It also introduced the character of Daggett, which is uh, shows up in Dark Knight Rises as well. The Clayface that they're using is Matt Hagen, the actor. Uh, we get to see Summer Gleason appear, uh, and voice actors are Ed Asner as Daggett, Ed Bigley Jr. as Germs, Rod Perlman as Clayface, so some familiar voices in there. The one thing I really liked in the Never Too Late episode was Batman appealing to the father, who we learn later is actually the brother of the older mob boss, Stromwell. It was cool, it was, you kind of saw a little bit of respect for a man of faith from Batman, and I thought that was a, an interesting part thing to put in a cartoon like that. And I know, I mean, it was subtly stated. And there have been other parts where, there's been other parts in other episodes where Batman has said, my God, uh, something about heaven, my heaven, or, or something about heaven in one of the episodes. So they're not shying away from, a, you know, the stuff that normal kids' cartoons would shy away from. I mean, even this episode dealt with drugs and rehab, uh, you know, the, his son getting off of drugs. So interesting stuff. The Joker episode, it was by Paul Dini. It was okay. I I liked it. And then I didn't kind of like it. I don't know. I thought the introduction of Harlequin was kind of really anticlimactic. Uh, I, was, oh, I was like, oh, she's just here. She's just Joker's sidekick and love interest. Or, well, just sidekick for now or whatever she is. Uh, and there really wasn't much more to it. You really didn't even get to see her fight Batman in her Harlequin costume. So... You saw her as Harlequin, but just briefly. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, eh. The intro, the first time you see Joker sort of really felt like it was an introduction where you, where you see him driving and then he lifts his hat up and turns to the camera and with that big smile, and that was really cool. Mark Hamill doing the voice, and, and he has it down this early already. It'll, it'll get more refined and it'll get better along the way. But I, I was like, okay, that was the episode. Yeah. It was strange that it really wasn't even between Batman and Joker. It was between... In this episode, the Joker is ready to kill a man, and he says, no, don't, I'll do anything. And then he goes, great, you're going to do me a favor, but he never claims the favor until two years later, and then it's just some ridiculous thing where he just wants him to open the door to allow the Joker into a ceremony uh, that they're throwing for Commissioner jo uh, Commissioner Gordon. And, and that's it. Like, And then at the end of the episode, they find a way to... Uh, get Joker off the back of this man. I, I don't know. It, it was okay. Not, you know, it it was okay. That's really all I can say. Um, so yeah, my favorite one was Never Too Late. I, I read that Feet of Clay, like those two episodes are supposed to be some standout episodes as well, but I thought the first one, the animation on part one was dreadful. And now having seen these four, this now catches me up to the second part of, uh, what is it, The Cat and the Claw, which I initially watched both parts of. But technically, Cat and the Claw Part 1 is the first episode of Batman animated series, of the whole Batman animated series. And Part 2 wasn't shown, wasn't aired until later, uh, until it was aired as Episode 8. 
So it was actually aired after Joker's Favor. So now I'm all caught up, and now I can continue to go on in order that these uh, episodes were aired. If you've seen any of these episodes, if you are daring to play along as I watch, that's cool. But uh, let me know what you think of some of these. The first two cat, uh, the first two Clayface episodes, uh, Joker's first episode, and the episode Never Too Late. So that's it for this TV Tuesday. Let me know what you think of anything that I've talked about. Let me know what you're watching that that is brand new for this season. I don't need to learn about. I don't want to know about anything that's sort of returning. Just anything that's brand new. Something that you're like, you have to watch. It's, it's so good. Um, and maybe I'll give it a couple episodes uh, and, and talk about it. You can email me at peter at thedailyreels.com. You can leave a comment on the website at thedailyreels.com. Comments are moderated, meaning that uh, they don't post up right away. I have to okay them, approve them. It's mostly just a fight spam, so don't, don't think anything other than that. You can follow me on Twitter, Peter J. Rios. Subscribe in iTunes if you haven't already, and leave a review if you would. That'd be awesome, and I will see you tomorrow.